If I would have told you a week ago that the Orioles were going to make the biggest signing of the winter meetings, you probably would have been pretty excited about that. Now that happened, not exactly the way you would have thought, but the O's have made their first big signing of the offseason. Craig Kimbrell is coming in to be the Orioles' closer in 2024. And we'll break down the move coming up on this live episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, December 6th, 2023. And welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And you may be looking around if you're watching this live and saying this is a little bit different for Locked On Orioles. And yes, it is. We already had an episode that was posted today. Make sure and go back and check that one out. If you haven't watched it or listened to it already, talked with Jacob Calvin Meyer of the Baltimore Sun. We broke down the 2023 seasons of CNL Perez and Danny Coulomb and took a look at what part they could play in the Orioles bullpen in 2024. But I figured throughout the winter meetings, hey, if the Orioles do anything, maybe I'll jump on live one of these evenings and talk about the move. And they did just that. The Orioles on Wednesday making the biggest signing. That's right. The biggest signing of the winter meetings. Nothing really happened in Nashville this week. There were some trades. There were some minor moves. But the Orioles gave out the most money. One year, $13 million to veteran closer Craig Kimbrell. Now, Kimbrell will make $12 million in 2024, and then there is a team option for 2025 for another $13 million that would include a $1 million buyout. So either way, you at least have to pay the $1 million buyout, which means it's a one-year $13 million contract with a team option for 2025. Now, on today's episode, we're going to talk about Craig Kimbrell, right? We're live here. Thank you for joining us. If you have comments, if you have questions, leave them in the chat right here and we will get to him. But we're going to talk about Craig Kimbrell, right? He's a veteran. He might be a future Hall of Famer. We'll talk about his career so far and what he is at this point at age 35, heading into 2024. Then we'll chat about, you know, how he will be used by the Orioles because the O's certainly have an opening at closer with Felix Bautista out for all of next season after Tommy John surgery. But will Kimbrell be the guy every single time, night in, night out, when the Orioles need three outs to hold the lead in the ninth inning? We'll talk about how the O's could tweak him at all. Can he be changed? Can you teach an old dog new tricks at this point? And then a little bit of other Orioles news and notes at the end of the episode. But let's jump in. Craig Kimbrell is the Orioles' first signing of the offseason. And not only is the biggest deal that was given out by any team at the winter meetings, it is the most money that Mike Elias and crew, since him and his people took over this front office in November of 2018, it is the most money they have given to any free agent. Now, it is still not a multi-year deal. It does have the team option for 2025, but that is not a guaranteed second year, which means Mike Elias is still not giving out a multi-year deal to a free agent. But $13 million for one year eclipses the $10 million they gave to Kyle Gibson for last year for the biggest Orioles contract. So this is currently going up and up slightly. And I think the first thing to say is, you know, John Angelos has essentially told us that they're not going to spend a lot of money, right? So if they're going out, and Craig Kimbrell has been great in his career at times. At times he's struggled. At times he's been great. If they're going out and giving out $13 million, their biggest contract ever, only on a one-year deal, biggest contract ever under Elias, to a relief pitcher who will probably be the closer, and we'll get to that, that shows me two things. One, it tells me they might spend a little more 
this offseason in free agency. Because I don't think if the Orioles had something like, you know, 15 or $20 million, and that's it that they could give out, I don't think they'd give most of it out to a relief pitcher. They'd probably try to package it all into a starter in free agency. So this tells me they are willing to, you know, sign another player. And B, it tells me they're going to bump the payroll a little bit. $13 million to one player, for most teams, that's nothing. But for an Orioles team that was 29th in payroll in 2023, that's going to tick it up a little bit. And if you add another player around 13 to 15 million, maybe more, they're not going to be at a respectable payroll yet. They might not even still be at $100 million for 2024, but at least it shows they care a little bit. So here's who Craig Kimbrell is at this point. He's 35 years old at the moment. Right-handed pitcher will turn 36 in May. So next year will be considered his age 36 season. Now, all the way back in 2008, he was a third-round pick of the Braves, got to the majors in 2010, and has only been a reliever. He has thrown almost 800 innings in his career and has never made a start in the big leagues. He's always been a reliever and was basically a closer almost from the moment he got to the bigs with Atlanta. He's got 417 career saves and a 2.40 career ERA in over 750 innings. Again, you know, he's had some bad years, but many think he's online to at some point get into the Hall of Fame and he'll have the Orioles on that plaque, it looks like. Now, he's not going to go in with an Orioles hat or anything, but... It'll be listed on a Hall of Fame plaque. Now, he's been with the Braves for a while, then the Padres, Red Sox, Cubs, White Sox, Dodgers in 2022, Phillies in 2023. Last year, he signed a one-year deal, very similar money in Philly to be their closer, and now his eighth team is the Orioles. Now, what did he do last year? Because that's the most relevant here, right? 71 appearances, 69 innings pitched for the Philadelphia Phillies in 2023. He had a 3.26 ERA, 34% strikeout rate, which if you rank all pitchers who threw at least 50 innings last year, Kimbrell ends up 11th in baseball with that 34% strikeout rate. He is still K-ing hitters. And a 10% walk rate, which is high, league average is about 8%. Felix Bautista was higher than that. That is a lower walk rate than the best reliever in baseball last year and the guy he'll be replacing in Felix Bautista. He's more of a fly ball pitcher, which has hurt him and especially hurt him last year but we'll get into how you know the new ballpark could help him out. It was a 14.5% home run to fly ball rate last year. Second highest of his career, one of the highest in baseball. Some of that is an issue. Some of that is just bad luck, small ballpark in Philly. We'll get to that as well. But listen, I did an episode earlier this week on Monday where I talked about some of the rumors coming out for the Orioles, and most of them were surrounding kind of veteran proven relief pitchers. And I was kind of surprised that the Orioles were connected to the Josh Haders and the Robert Stevensons and the Craig Kimbrels of the world, because I assumed this offseason the Orioles would sign at least one and maybe two relievers, but I figured it would be more in that second group, right? The more setup guys, the middle relief guys, maybe the overlooked guys you can get for cheap and can come in. Phil Maton and Wandy Peralta were guys that I was consistently talking about. I made a big point for Robert Stevenson to maybe even be that guy. And I ranked those pitchers. It was Robert Stevenson. It was Craig Kimbrell, Josh Hader, Jordan Hicks, and Aroldis Chapman. They were connected to all of those guys. I ranked them one through five for preference on Monday. And I put Kimbrell fourth. Only guy he was ahead of was Aroldis Chapman. And I basically said, it's not a super fun watch. And that's really an important part here. Kimbrell, there's two sides of this, right? He was good last season. Like a lot of people are trying to say, oh, this is a disaster, he's terrible, he blows games, he can't give anybody out. That's not really the case. If you look what he's done for the last three seasons, 
2021, he split the year between the Cubs and the White Sox, 22 with the Dodgers and 23 with the Phillies. He threw about 200 innings in that stretch to a 3.10 ERA with about 13 Ks and four walks per nine. Those are really good numbers for a relief pitcher. Now, 2019 to 20, smaller sample size, shortened season. He had some injuries. He had a six ERA in 36 innings, but that's because he was walking six batters per nine. But before that, you know, back when he was with the Red Sox and with the Padres and with the Braves, he was great too. And he has never really had a season where he has lost the strikeouts, right? He's had some seasons where the walks have been an issue. And that's something to monitor, especially as he gets older. But the stuff is still there. I was listening to Eno Saris today, who writes over at The Athletic, has a great podcast, has his Stuff Plus metric, which looks at just the stuff a pitcher has. Kimbrell, despite the fact that he's in his late 30s, is still in the top 20 in all of baseball in his Stuff Plus, which means... The fastball-curveball combination, that's all he throws right now. It's two pitches. They are still up there with some of the best in baseball. Now, he's not throwing 100 anymore, but his fastball still averaged 96 last season, and that's been pretty consistent the last couple of years. He's not really losing a lot of velocity. He's lost a little bit, but not a lot of velocity either, which is also a good sign. Now, you look at what he did last year, right? I mentioned the K rate was very, very good. He got hit hard a little bit, 47% hard hit rate. That's... 10.5% barrel rate. Those are, if you look at baseball stats, one of the harder hit guys. The thing with Kimbrell is he's kind of always gotten hit harder than the average pitcher, but he just doesn't give up a lot of contact in general. He misses a lot of bats, gets a lot of strikeouts, does walk some guys as well, but generally the hard contact hasn't been an issue because, you know, he only throws 70 innings a year because he's a reliever and he misses so many bats that, yeah, sometimes he'll give up a homer. He'll give up a double, maybe a screaming liner into the gap. But he's missing so many bats, and his stuff is so good, and it's always been that good, that he gets away with it. The fastball last year threw it two-thirds of the time, still sitting 96. Opponents still hit 185 against it. Still has a 38% swing and miss rate. That is elite for a fastball. It's still a great pitch. And the curveball throws it a third of the time, 86 miles an hour. It's like that hammer knuckle curve, 175 batting average against it. You know, still a 30-plus percent whiff rate. These are two really good pitches that Kimbrell throws. He's been a two-pitch pitcher since 2018. This is, this is what he does. He's, he's a fastball, curveball. Here's the issue, though. One thing is the postseason. He has not been as good in the postseason in his career as he's been in the regular season. And that is a lot of the pushback I think I've seen on social media from Orioles fans throughout the day since the signing was first reported earlier in the day by Ken Rosenthal. I think the interest was reported by Joel Sherman back on Tuesday night, and then the Orioles officially announced it later in the day on Wednesday that he will be getting the one-year deal with the team option for 2025. And I get the pushback on the postseason, right? Like, he didn't look great in the Phillies' run this year. He was their closer, this season for Philadelphia. That was his role. You know, he didn't save like 50 games. I believe it was like 25 saves. He picked up. So not a huge, huge number this year. But in the postseason, he did struggle. He had seven appearances. He threw six innings for the Phillies. Remember, they went to game seven of the NLCS before they were knocked out by the Diamondbacks. And he started off the postseason good. He converted his first three save opportunities in the playoffs. His first four outings were scoreless as he got the Phillies through the wild card round and then through that key NLDS against the Braves. But he gave up four runs on six hits in those six innings with five Ks, five walks, a homer, and a hit batter. But all four of those runs came in two games. Now, they were pivotal games and pivotal spots. It was game three of the NLCS with the Phillies leading 2-0. He 
He comes in, Philly's leading 5-3 in the eighth, and just has a disaster eighth inning, right? Walks a couple batters, gives up the tying homer to Alec Thomas, another batter, RBI double. All of a sudden, the D-backs have the lead. Then he comes in the ninth in the very next night in a 1-1 game, walks a couple batters, gives up a couple of hits. D-backs walk it off against him in the bottom of the ninth to tie the series at two. Now, he came back and had one more scoreless outing later in the series, but never got another save spot. Not that he didn't earn one. It was just the Phillies never kind of found themselves another save opportunity for the rest of that CS. So yeah, he didn't have two great outings. And in his postseason career, he's got 10 saves, 30 innings, and he does have a 4.50 ERA. 2.40, that's his career ERA in the regular season. 4.50, it's basically almost doubled in the postseason. So that is a little bit of an issue. And I've seen a lot of talk about oh, you know, this is the Orioles need to get a closer who's going to be there for him in the postseason and this and that. Remember, bullpen roles change a lot when you get to the postseason. We saw it from the O's. Now, you didn't see it as much because it was only three games and they lost all of them. So you didn't get to do exactly what you want with your bullpen. But those roles change pretty much all year. And it's a little bit of an issue. Wasn't good last year. 2022 with the Dodgers, he saved 22 games. He had a 3.75 ERA. He was with the team all year, and the Dodgers left him off of the 2022 postseason roster. So they were apparently eh, a little concerned about it too. But at the end of the day, he is a guy who's going to throw good innings for you in the regular season, and you hope it happens in the postseason as well. And that's what we're going to get to coming up next. What can he really bring? Craig Kimbrell at age 36, what is he going to bring to the 2024 Orioles, because what this team needed was someone to come in and replace Felix Bautista. They are losing the best closer in baseball. Craig Kimbrell will not be Felix Bautista, but what can he be? We'll talk about that coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Jace Medical. Now, I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of life, but we can just talk about something for a minute, about preparing for tough situations. Whether you're on extended travel, bracing for a major weather event, or limited by yet another supply shortage, you are covered thanks to our partners at Jace Medical. Jace Medical has a product they call the Jace Case, which is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illness, including skin infections, respiratory issues, different things across the board. So visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It'll be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com and use the offer code Locked On to get $20 off your order at jacemedical.com. So we thank you all for joining us here on the first ever live edition of the Locked On Orioles podcast here on a Wednesday evening. If you're listening later on Wednesday night or Thursday morning, whenever it is, this is still relevant information. The Orioles have signed Craig Kimbrell to a one-year $13 million deal with a club option for another $13 million for a second year in 2025. And just talked about, you know, everything Kimbrell has done in his career, specifically in the last couple of years, because he is a different pitcher now, right? He's not blowing every single fastball by guys at 98 and 99 like he was early in his career in Atlanta. However, he's not the pitcher that some people are making him out to be, that he is this like terrible pitcher who's over the hill, who can't throw strikes and can't get anybody out in the postseason. He's somewhere in the middle. And here's some of the good things for Kimball, because I wanted to talk about now what he brings to the Orioles and what he can do for the O's in 2024. First of all, he had 23 saves last year for the Phillies, right? Not a gigantic number. 
Nine of them were one, two, three innings. That is like the easy sit back, breathe, and relax save. Nine of 23. You'd like more, but it's not awful. And when you look at percentage-wise, for Felix Bautista, he saved 33 games for the Orioles last year. He was, bar none, the best reliever in baseball. Only 12 of Bautista's 33 saves were 1-2-3 innings. That is actually a lower percentage than Kimbrell. So listen, Craig Kimbrell is not a fun watch. This is what I talked about on Monday's episode when I talked about the possibility of him coming in. It's not fun to watch him. Ask a Phillies fan. I'm sure you all know a Phillies fan. Ask a Dodgers fan. Ask a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan or even a Red Sox fan. Now he was a little more fun to watch back in the Boston days. He's not a fun watch. All right, now that, you know, the lean over, yeah, it's kind of fun. It's a slow worker. Now he's a little faster now with the pitch clock, but it's still slow. He kind of struggles at times. It looks like he's going max effort for every single pitch he throws, and he's just trying to get a strike at any point. It is not a super fun watch. I think Felix Bautista is a very fun watch because you know, all right, 103 is easy, and then that splitter might be the best pitch in baseball. It could come at any time and look any hit, make any hitter look silly. Now, Kimbrell still got good stuff, and he makes a lot of hitters look silly, but it's just kind of a tough watch. But that doesn't exactly correlate to he's bad, right? Blake Snell is kind of the number one example of this. I do not like watching Blake Snell pitch. It's nibbling the corners. It's walking some guys. It's striking out guys. It's taking forever. Blake Snell also just won the Cy Young Award in the NL, and is going to get a lot of money in free agency this offseason. Those two things don't always correlate. It's the same with Kimbrell on a reliever level. It's not a fun watch. You're going to be much more nervous in the ninth than you were with Felix Bautista. It's going to feel more like you were in the ninth after Felix got injured down the stretch in September. But he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's, a, I, I think, shout out to Grant right here in the comments. Nine-time All-Star right there is Craig Kimbrell. And yes, some people are upset, right? But for him, he's going to come in and help this Orioles bullpen. Because when you lose Felix Bautista best closer in baseball. You're never going to fully replace him. You are never going to find another pitcher that is going to be Felix Bautista. It's just not going to happen. You know it 100%, just not going to be Felix Bautista. But what Kimbrell can do is come in, he can pitch innings, he can be a guy who has saved games. Again, he has 417 career saves. He's going to the Hall of Fame for this. He's done it plenty of times and he'll do it plenty more times. He knows how to pitch in the postseason, although he's had his struggles. He's pitched 30 postseason innings. That's going to come in and immediately lead this Orioles team among postseason innings. So that's going to be good. I don't know what kind of clubhouse presence he has, but considering he's been in the big since 2010, has been to the postseason a lot, it's got to be at least a positive veteran to have in there. And you can stick him into that ninth inning role. And Ken Rosenthal reported it when he said it out. And Mike Elias said it when he talked to the media after the signing later on Wednesday. Kimbrell is going to be the Orioles' closer. And that's the thing. You have all these options that the Orioles tried at the end of last year. And Yenier Cano and CNL Perez and Tyler Wells and D.L. Hall and Danny Coulomb trying to piece things together for one of them to be a closer. Craig Kimbrell is the closer. Could he lose the job? Absolutely, right? He could struggle. Things could start to go downhill. It could happen for any reliever. And someone else could take the job. But when you look at the other options, Yinyer Cano, fantastic setup man. He's not a closer. What you need from your closer is a guy who misses bats, who gets swings and misses. Felix Bautista did it at an elite level. You have small margins of error as a closer. You can't rely on guys who rely on ground ball contact. That is Yinyer Cano. 
I think it showed when he took over the closer role late. That's not his role. He's a seventh, eighth inning guy. Same with CNL Perez. He is more of a pitch to contact guy. You don't want that in the closer role. Danny Coulomb, he pitches to soft contact, but he pitches to contact. Don't want it in the closer role. The two guys who you could argue for, I think, are Tyler Wells and D.L. Hall. And because both of them are going to go into spring training, at least fighting for a rotation spot, I personally think both of them will end up in the bullpen next year. And I don't think this move like pushes either of them out of the pen. Like They're either going to win a rotation spot or more likely end up as high leverage relievers, both Wells and Hall, who... You know, they gave chances to save games in September with Bautista out last year, and they looked pretty good, at least in their relief outings last year. They have a shot if Kimbrell struggles to take the job. But right now, if you're paying $13 million for Craig Kimbrell right now, you are bringing him in to be your closer, your ninth inning guy. Now, I mentioned how you're not going to replace Bautista. It's just impossible. Hopefully he comes back 2025 fully healthy and is the same level of great and it's awesome to watch. The one big issue, besides the fact that Craig Kimbrell and anyone, is just not Felix Bautista, is that the Orioles are not going to be able to use their closer exactly like Brandon Hyde loved to use Bautista at times last year. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. It is that two-inning win on the road in extra innings that Felix was so good at. He did it perfectly four times last year and did versions of it other times as well where he would get four-out saves or five-out saves. Where Felix Bautista would come in in the ninth inning, in the bottom of the ninth of a tie game on the road. He would put up a zero in the bottom of the ninth. The Orioles would play small ball. They'd scratch across one run in the top of the 10th with the zombie runner on second. And then Bautista would come back in the bottom of the 10th with a one-run lead. The zombie runner would go to second base. And Bautista was so good that he would generally just strike out all three batters. Sometimes that runner would never even move to third. And the Orioles would secure a one-run win. Craig Kimbrell did not pitch more than one inning in any of his 71 appearances with the Phillies last year. And if you go back to when he threw 60 innings with the Dodgers in 2022, only twice did he throw more than one inning in that season as well. So I don't know if it's a willingness thing. Like we've talked about Josh Hader. Josh Hader doesn't want to throw more than one inning. He is like the ninth inning is my job. I don't know if that's the case for Craig Kimbrell. He's done it before. Like the amount of times he's done it in his career, especially in the postseason, I think he's more willing to do it, but it's not the way he's been used at this point in his career. And I think the way Brandon Hyde likes to manage, he'll probably end up in a couple of spots where he throws more than one inning in one game. But generally, you're not going to be able to do that with Kimbrell like you did it with Felix. You're going to have to rely a little bit more on this bullpen, but what Kimbrell does is just make your bullpen deeper. Even if he struggles, he's got the stuff and he's got the experience where at the very least, he'll end up like a seventh inning guy at worst and still be a solid reliever for you in your bullpen. That helps you, right? If he's at least replacing the worst guy in there, whether it's Mike Bauman, Brian Baker, Jacob Webb, whomever, the Orioles just got better by making this signing. You have Kimbrell in the ninth, you patch it through with these really good relievers from the 6th, 7th, and 8th inning, right? Yinyer Cano, Danny Coulomb, CNL Perez, Tyler Wells, D.L. Hall. Michael Elias said Dylan Tate is throwing and looking healthy. A healthy Dylan Tate, that could be huge for the 2024 Orioles. And you add all those guys in with, you know, Brian Baker, Mike Bauman, Jacob Webb competing for a spot. Maybe Cole Irvin is a long relief guy. Like, you're looking at a pretty good bullpen right now. And Mike Elias talked to the media Wednesday and said there's a possibility they would go after another reliever, but it's more likely they now pursue mostly starting pitching. And I would like to see them maybe add one more cheap reliever just to get another veteran in there. But if they go into the season with this bullpen, right, Kimbrell in the ninth, then you got Tate, Perez, Coulomb, Cano, Hall, and Wells, 
all in the bullpen beside him. And then for that, you know, rover spot, again, you've got all those guys I just mentioned, and you add some good starters, that's a pretty good pitching staff. Even if you just add one more starter, that is a pretty good pitching staff with Kimbrell in the ninth. And again, he's going to stress you out more than Felix did. It's going to be stressful. He nibbles. He walks guys. He takes a long time. Again, it's not a super fun watch, but the ballpark's going to help him. Philadelphia played as the seventh best ballpark for hitters in terms of hitting home runs. They were in the top 10. Orioles are now in the bottom five because of the new wall in left field. Kimbrell was killed by the home run ball last year. Whenever he had issues, it was the home run ball. And specifically, it was the home run ball against righties. His home run to fly ball rate against right-handed hitters last year was 19%. That is an absurdly high number. Right-handed hitters don't hit a lot of home runs at the new Camden Yards because they're mostly pulling the ball, and that ball is way back there. Philly really plays to right-handed hitters. Not so much in Baltimore. I think that's really going to help the home run problem that he had. And again, Craig Kimbrell, best-case scenario, he's helping close out big-time playoff games for the Orioles. But there's a chance, whether he struggles in the regular season or it's just struggling in the postseason like he's done a bit over the last few years, He's not closing those games out. But I would argue that Kimbrell is not here just for the postseason. Kimbrell is here to get the Orioles through the regular season, to have a veteran here who, again, has saved 417 games in his big league career since 2010 to fill in for an awful loss in Felix Bautista. You cannot replace Felix. He's one of a kind. But Kimbrell's here for the long haul. It's very similar to the Kyle Gibson move of last year. Kyle Gibson was not brought in last season to start a playoff game. Now, I argued he should have, and maybe he should have started Game 3, the ALDS. He was brought in to get the Orioles there. He threw 192 innings. He ate so many innings, which was huge. And relievers are different. You're not looking at them to necessarily eat innings in the way that starters do. But for Kyle Gibson, you can kind of look at it that way. And for Craig Kimbrell, you can look at it that way as well. He is there to throw those 70 innings that he threw the Philly last year, have a 3-2 ERA, you know, pick up 25 saves for the Orioles, and get them to the postseason. And then the playoffs, like we saw with the Rangers, they use three relievers, basically. You can shorten the bullpen, and if you get to the postseason and you feel, hey, Kimbrell's saving games, but maybe he's not our best guy, maybe Cano, Perez, Hall, Wells, Coulomb, those are your guys. And Kimbrell can be tossed in there, but you can shorten your bullpen in the playoffs, and maybe you don't have to use Kimbrell in every ninth inning if you don't want to. He's more to get you there than he is potentially to help you. And if he helps you in the postseason, it's just essentially a gigantic bonus than you get on top of it. I think this Orioles bullpen does look really, really good with Craig Kimbrell in the ninth inning. Now, this does hinge on the Orioles adding at least one starter. There was some Dylan Cease news today about what they're asking for. There was some Eduardo Rodriguez news. There was some other news about pitchers available. We'll talk about that and more coming up next to finish off this live episode of the podcast. Thank you to everyone in the chat. Today's episode is going to go a little bit longer than the usual 30 minutes. Just wanted to get to anything in the chat, right? Any questions that anyone had about Kimbrell, about the news around the Orioles, but wanted to finish off with a little bit of Orioles news and notes. I just wanted to pour one out first of all for Dan Duquette, and for Andy McPhail, for that matter. The Orioles, along with many other teams, did not make a selection 
in the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft on Wednesday. The Rule 5 draft, kind of the final piece of the winter meetings. The Orioles have made a selection in the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft every year since 2005 until this year. Now, it was a weaker class and only 10 selections were made, which is one of the lowest numbers in years. So it wasn't just an Orioles thing. But the Orioles, who have always looked to find, like, interesting talent here or there in the Rule 5 draft, didn't do it. And they even had, even with the Kimbrell signing, three open 40-man roster spots. So they could have made that move. And they didn't. And honestly, it tells me, not that they won't do it in the future, because even good teams make Rule 5 draft selections. But I got to say, it maybe gives me a little more hope that you know, they're not going to be done with just Craig Kimbrell in terms of their additions this offseason. They're saving those three open 40-man spots because they're going to make more additions. Hey, you know, there were some great pickups. Ryan Flaherty, TJ McFarland, Tyler Wells, Anthony Santander, the best one. Like, there were some great Rule 5 selections by the Orioles over the years. But kind of end of an era. Right here. Now, they did pick up one pitcher from the Rockies system, a younger right-hander, in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. They also lost Connor Gillespie, right-handed reliever, who was in Bowie last year. I believe Cleveland took him um, in the minor league phase. Also, in terms of the MLB draft next summer, Orioles moved up a couple of slots. I believe it was something having to do with the luxury tax and teams moving down. But the Orioles will pick 22nd in the first round of the draft next year. Shout out to the Cleveland Guardians, who somehow only had the ninth worst record and with the draft lottery won the number one pick. Shout out to them. But... The Orioles will pick three times in the top 34 in this draft. They will have the 22nd pick, the 32nd pick, and the 34th pick. Even with the team being good, Mike Elias and his crew are still going to do some damage in the draft next year. So uh, it's it's a good thing to look out for. And then I'll just kind of say like the other thing before we get to, you know, Cease and some of the other available guys and answer some questions. Scott Boris did his usual gigantic media scrum at the winter meetings today. That is the you know, number one agent out there. And he represents both Jackson Holiday and Gunnar Henderson. And he was asked, you know, have the Orioles come to you with any extension talks? And Scott Boris said, and sometimes he's bending the truth a little bit and helping out his clients. But he did say at least once a day, he's contacted by the Orioles talking about Henderson and Holiday extensions. Now, I don't think that's probably the truth. But I think the truth in there is the Orioles have at least engaged Scott Boris on what would it look like for an extension for those two players. I think that's a positive step forward on trying to extend some of the best players that the Orioles have. But thank you everyone who's jumped in the chat here. Uh, You know, yeah, this is my first first live stream podcast that we are doing here. Uh, Thank you to, let's see, Baltimore Sports Providence. We'll put that one up there. Also, can we not turn this into a hate parade? I hope we didn't. Kind of turned into that for Craig Kimbrell uh, on Twitter today and and. Alexander, I kind of had the same sentiment, right? I don't understand why people are so mad about it. I think it was still like a a solid move, right? And yeah, you know, Pete had his struggles in the playoffs. But yeah, he's going to, and to answer Jackson's question here, he's going to be the main closer. I don't think Cano is going to get many chances in that role just because he's more of a ground ball guy. He's better set up to, to be a setup man. And to answer this question from WVJJ. How about taking a risk on a 25-year-old instead of a 35-year-old for once? Well, if you want to go get an established closer, there's not a lot of 25-year-olds, not any 25-year-olds who are really out there as established closers. The Orioles, I think one of their top needs this offseason was, 
hey, you know, we're going to try to get the best available closer we can, but you need a guy who's closed games before, who can step in and be a stopgap. This is the big thing, right? And I've seen a couple of people talk about it. Like, this is only a one-year deal. Yes, it's got a club option, but I would say, unless Kimbrell is just lights out incredible, in that case, the O's probably do bring him back and pair him with Felix in 2025. But it's most likely the Orioles don't bring him back. They decline that club option. It's one year. It's $13 million. I know that seems like a crazy amount for Johnny Angelos. Most he's given out with Mike Elias at the helm. But for most teams, $13 million is nothing. And remember, it's not your money. So the Orioles have, in theory, all the payroll they could want. They were 29th in baseball last year. So if that's what it took to get Craig Kimbrell, and Mike Elias talked a lot after the move about how they feel like they can make Kimbrell even better and they feel like he's got a lot left in the tank and he's going to be their closer. So it, it seems like he was their guy that they targeted. And if that's what it costs, that's what it costs. And either way, I think he's going to help the Orioles here. So, hey, you know, and and for T Reaper here with the comment, at least we're doing something. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's one way to think of it, but kind of, yeah. Now we got a, a comment from Rich. Now sign Hicks. Stevenson and or Hayter sign Snell or Erod and Imanaga, two from each group. Yeah, it's interesting there. You know, I don't think they'll go after the bigger name relievers now, like Jordan Hicks, Robert Stevenson, Josh Hader. I would love all those guys, especially Robert Stevenson. Like, that's my guy. I would love for them to get him. With the way Elias talked and them going and getting Kimbrell, they might be done adding relievers. They'll probably try to add another one, like, on the waiver wire. But in terms of free agency, I think they're probably done. But for starters, they still got to be going. Now, they are not giving out the Blake Snell money. The report today was Eduardo Rodriguez is choosing between two teams. It was not reported who either of the teams are, so maybe it's the Orioles. I don't know how I feel about Eduardo Rodriguez. Like, he's always outperforming his stuff. Like, it's not great. He's had some injury issues, had some other off-the-field issues. I'm just, I don't know. I feel like I'd like to see someone else take him on. I'd be fine with the O's getting him. Like, he would certainly help. Shota Imanaga, I'd be really interested in. His price tag, though, to answer Rich's question, has apparently gone way up and is now over $100 million, what people think it's going to take to sign him. I think that probably takes the Orioles out on at least bringing in Imanaga. But, you know, hey, and and here's a good comment from Jesse right here. This is a good low-risk possibility, high-reward deal for an experienced late-inning reliever. Exactly, right? Low-risk. Kimbrell even, now, he was really bad a couple years ago, but the last three years he's been good. So even if he struggles a little bit more, he's still a solid reliever that you can throw out there as long as he's okay not pitching in the ninth if he struggles. And if he's really good, like you've got a shutdown closer who's one of the best to ever do it, I think this is, at the end of the day, a good signing. And again, like like I was talking about, Mark Barnes puts it here. It's a one-year deal. This is This is zero risk for the Orioles at this point. Like if it doesn't, if it super doesn't work out, I mean, even at worst, you can DFA him. I mean, I don't see it getting that bad. But again, it's a one-year deal. It's not like you're making this gigantic commitment to anybody. This is a good question here from Kyle to answer. And I talked about, you know, comparing these players a little bit. Would you rather have another year of Kyle Gibson or Kimbrell about the same money for those two players? And yeah, Kyle Gibson, I believe, what, he signed a 12 or $13 million deal for one year with the Cardinals. So basically the same money. That's a really good question. It would depend on what else the Orioles do. If we assume in a vacuum the Orioles make no other moves, the only move they're making this offseason is either Gibson or Kimbrell, I'd rather have Gibson because Kimbrell's giving you 70 innings. Gibson's giving you at least 170 innings. And while Gibson might be at a 4-5 ERA and Kimbrell will be at a 3 ERA, eating those innings as a starter is usually more effective, better for the team, and the Orioles have a better chance of finding another good reliever off the scrap heap than a good starter. 
But if we're back in the real world and we're saying, okay, the Orioles are still going after starters, they're going to upgrade from Kyle Gibson, I think I'd rather take Kimbrell with Bautista out, making sure you're kind of locking things down at the end of the game. So I think that was a, a good question, though. Rolling through the uh, the questions here, you know, T. Reaper just with Cease. Yeah, Dylan Cease. There was some news about Dylan Cease today uh, that they've been talking with the Reds and with the Dodgers, and there was some news that didn't make me feel great about the Orioles getting Dylan Cease. Now, we know it's been reported multiple times the Orioles are in discussions with the White Sox to try and get Dylan Cease, to bring him over in a trade. But we got a good report about Cease on Wednesday, and it told us a couple of things. It named some of the players that have been coming up in the conversations with the Reds and with the Dodgers. And apparently the ask from the Reds has been so big that the Reds are kind of cooling off of this. Apparently the Braves are cooling a little bit. And the ask from the Dodgers started with Bobby Miller. Bobby Miller, basically one of their top pitching prospects, made it to the big leagues this year. Wasn't great, but was pretty good and showed a lot of promise. He's not quite Grayson Rodriguez, but he's closer to like a Kyle Bradish before the full breakout. Like he's a good pitching prospect. And the report today also said that the White Sox are looking for high-level good pitching prospects in what they get back. And it makes sense. They don't have a lot of pitching at the big league level. And if they trade away Cease, they're going to have basically nothing. So that makes total sense. And we talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago. Herb Lawrence came on from CHGO Chicago White Sox to kind of talk about what a Cease trade could look like with the Orioles and the Sox. And he talked about needing some pitching. I was putting Dean Kramer into those deals. I think you, the Orioles should be willing to add in a Cade Povich or a Chase McDermott in one of those deals as well. The O's have a lot of position players, and they could throw in a Jordan Westberg, throw in a, a Colton Kowser, a Heston Kerstad, a Joey Ortiz, one of those guys in this package to get Dylan Cease. But if the White Sox really want top-level pitching prospects, the O's just don't really have that to give up or that they want to give up right now. So that could put them in a tough spot to try and make that trade. Yeah, another good comment here from Baltimore Sports Providence. Good to see Tate coming into the healthy to the spring. Hopefully that's the case. Man, if they if they have him healthy, that puts the bullpen just on another level as well, which is going to be huge, huge for the O's if they can get Dylan Tate back. He's not like a super ninth inning guy, but Dylan Tate is just so consistent, right? Comes in the seventh or eighth inning, gets a ground ball, gets a strikeout, seems to have a rubber arm at times, and he just goes and goes and goes and goes. Man, if he's healthy, that's going to be just a... Wow, that is just going to be a huge, huge addition for the Orioles. Milo with a question here. Was there any other news on that uh, Naoyuki Uesawa rumor? There was not. He is a pitcher from Japan who was, was rumored the Orioles had offered a two-year contract to. He's not quite on the level of an Imanaga or a Yamamoto, but could help the O's. Kind of a softer tosser. No, there hasn't been any more rumors um, in terms of the right-hander out of Japan, but... Yeah, those are kind of the, the, the big news from today. And the, and the last thing is the Marlins. The Marlins are listening on their young starters. That includes the Trevor Rogers, the Edward Cabreras of the world. The Orioles should certainly start looking that direction as well. But hopefully you all enjoyed the first live episode of Ever Done on Locked On Orioles. If the O's make another move, another signing, another trade this offseason, expect another one of these. Make sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page as well. Give us a follow at Locked On Orioles on Twitter. Email me with mailbag questions or any thoughts on the show, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. And we're also on TikTok now. 
That is Locked On Orioles, locked.on.orioles on TikTok. Check us out. There'll be little clips from the show, takes from me about the Orioles. So check us out on TikTok as well. Still got one more episode coming up this week to kind of recap the winter meetings and look forward for the Orioles. But until then, I am Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast. Your team 